Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord God, I just thank you so much. Lord, as we saw in the video, these brave men and women who put their lives on the line to preserve the freedoms that we enjoy here in this country. So Lord, I pray that, uh, and thank you for those uh, men and women. Lord, I pray your blessing on their lives. Lord, I also pray at this time for those who are currently in the service, Lord, currently putting their life on the line for the freedom of of others than others than themselves, Lord. I thank you for their lives, and I thank you for their families who also make that sacrifice, Lord. Would you please bless them this morning, Lord? Lord, would you even let them know that they are being held up in prayer this morning, most likely around this country, Lord? So we thank you, Jesus. Lord, I ask your blessing on the message this morning as well. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would take this time, Lord, that you've begun to cultivate the soil of our hearts, to prepare to hear what it is that you have for us to receive the seed of your word, that it might take root in our lives and to um, produce fruit a, a hundred thousand times more. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, everybody, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, I guess, is where we're at. Um, if you don't have your Bible with you today, just put up your hand. Cesar's got Bibles. Jack's got Bibles. Um, you can uh, keep this one if you don't have a Bible of your own. It's God's gift. If you um, are just using it for today, that's okay. Take it home with you and give it to somebody who you know at home who doesn't have a Bible. And, uh, and you know what? When you take this Bible home, open it up once in a while during the week and see what the Lord wants to say. In fact, in case you're new, we actually just kind of march through the Word. So when we finish today, guess what? You'll know what we're going to cover next week as well. So you can read ahead. And you can discover what it is that we're going to be talking about. Well, last, last week, just to kind of catch you up, we looked at uh, the Jesus' disciples who were shocked when they, they heard Jesus say that their revered temple would be left desolate. They were shocked when he said that. But in fact, what he was saying is that the the Pharisees' empty outward religion based on the praise of others would leave them all wasted. But, he says, since you brought up the temple, a time is coming where not even one stone of this temple will be left standing in place, not a single one. Now, we actually know from history that just about 40 years after he said that, the Roman army did come in and completely destroy the temple so that not even one single stone of the temple was left in place. It's really important that he said that to them because at least half of his disciples actually saw that happen in their lifetime. So they could see, oh, what Jesus says will happen, will happen. Why is that so important? Well, because he's going to talk about the culmination of all world history in these chapters. And so when he says, these are the things that are going to happen and we haven't seen them happen yet, guess what we know? They will happen. And that's where we're at. We're in the, we're in the middle of that. <clears throat> they come to Jesus after he says this about the temple, and he says, Jesus, uh, now they're really listening. Did you notice, like, all of a sudden the disciples are like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> what did you say? Because, like, how many times has he said to them, um, oh, by the way, um, I'm going to, when we get to Jerusalem, be arrested, accused falsely, crucified, and, and, and then I'll ri arise again. And they're like, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. How many times? Three, four, five times? Jesus says, your temple is going to be knocked down, not a stone left. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. When's that going to happen? In fact, they say, tell us about when will be the end of the age. We looked at last week in Greek, that means when will all of the parts come together into a whole? You know what I thought about that? When will all the pieces come together to form a whole? Not a whole, H-O-L-E, but whole, like W. The W is the only difference there, actually. You know what I thought about? Have you ever bought a piece of furniture from Ikea? (laughs) It just comes in a big box, and it weighs like 700 pounds um, for a bookshelf. And um, on the box, the picture on the box looks perfect, right? That's the start. It looks perfect. You're like, yes, that's what I want. I want this. That's why I bought this. And then you get it home and you open up the box and you pull all the pieces out and it's like 17,000 pieces all spread out in little baggies all over. And then you get the instructions, right? The instructions are the plan that you have to follow in order for all the pieces to come together to form a whole. You see, you started off with a picture of the perfect thing, right? That's where God started. He said, here's the Garden of Eden. It's perfect. It's just how I want. But then Adam and Eve opened the box and all the pieces were out. And God said, okay, now here's the plan for when all the parts are going to form the whole. And we're in, we're in that right now. We're in the process where you're going through. And you know, the thing is with, have you ever tried to put together Ikea furniture and not follow the instructions? It comes out horribly, horribly wrong. And you're like, why do I have all these extra parts? Here's a hint. There aren't extra parts. <laughs> There's no such thing as extra parts. They're very good at what they do. There are no extra parts. So if you end up with extra parts, you've done something wrong. And so he says, here are my instructions. This will tell you how all of the parts are going to come into a whole. But what is the whole? That's what we're looking at right now. When we're looking at like the, the, the end times, the tribulation time, we're at the end of those instructions where all of the parts are about to become a whole perfect bookshelf. They want to know when this is coming Jesus is going to spend, he he spent the last, I don't know, 30 verses that we looked at last week talking about the the last part of that plan, the end times, and all of this horrible stuff that's going to be happening from that time, the time it starts until the end of the seven-year period, that tribulation period, all that is going to happen until the second coming of Christ, which is the formation of the whole, and all of the horrible stuff that's going to happen in that time. We looked at that last week, but I believe that the Bible also teaches that his church, that's you and I, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's you and I, that the Bible teaches that we will be um, taken up or raptured, as we say, at the moment just before this time of tribulation begins. I believe that because of verses like this. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or Romans 5.9 Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. But skeptics say, 
Well, pastor, wait a minute. The word rapture's not even in the Bible. Have you heard that? You know the word rapture's not in the Bible. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, this is what it says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And there, thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Are you comforted by those words? I'm comforted by those words. Amen. Yeah, but pastor still doesn't say rapture. <laughs> All right. The phrase caught up in Greek is a word harpazo. Harpazo. And that word means snatched away. Okay. But in the Latin Vulgate version of the Bible, which is a Latin version of the Bible that has been in place since the fourth century, gang, the word harpazo in Latin is raptus, which is where we get the English word rapture. So is rapture in the Bible? You better believe it is. Don't let anybody tell you the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, not if you strictly and only ever read the English version of the Bible. <laughs> so let's go. Chapter 24, 36 is kind of where we left off. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels or the heaven, uh, of heaven, but my father only. And so what he's going to talk about is kind of the start of judgment that is to come. But you understand, at the same time he's talking about the start of judgment, he's also talking about the moment of rapture. Because the moment of rapture will happen as the judgment happens. And so he's, kinda, he's gonna kinda talk about both of those things. But he's saying, of that time, only the Father knows. But that is such an important phrase, and I want you to hold on to that, and maybe we'll get to come back to that later today. Depends on how quick I talk. So, it says, only the Father knows those things. But as the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, I think this is going to talk about two, two points here. The first point is that I think he's speaking about the condition of the people's heart at the time that God poured out judgment on the earth. If, if you're new to the Bible, the story of Noah was when God saw that all of the hearts of the, of the people were evil Continually, It actually says in Genesis, 5, verse, uh, Genesis 6, verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of their thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And so God says, I'm going to wipe away mankind because of their wickedness with a universal flood. They had, at that time, cast off God. We can do whatever we want. We can act any way we please. What's, gonna, what's God going to do about it anyway? <laughs> well, <laughs> God says, how about a flood? At the day, in the days of Noah, the intent of people's hearts were evil continuously, and they did not care what God thought. They did what they pleased. They thought whatever they wanted to. They did whatever they wanted to. And God said, it is now time for judgment. Gang, it feels like we're there again. 
It seems like we are, as a human, a, a race of people, we say we can do whatever we want with or to anyone we want. Who is God to tell me whether I'm a boy or a girl? In Psalm 8, though, David expresses the truth when he says, speaking to God, when I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? The other point that Jesus is making is about how judgment will come. Look at verse 38. For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. You see, in the days of Noah, before the flood came, just before it came, it says that they were going about their daily business as normal, not suspecting or thinking anything bad, which is a little bit crazy to me because they should have known. Why? Noah was building an ark for about a hundred years. That's how long it took him to build this ark. And you don't think like on one of those days, his neighbor's like, honey, I think Noah's doing something over there. And he moses the on over and says, hey, Noah, what you doing? <laughs> oh, well, God told me he was going to flood the earth and judge the world for your wickedness. So I'm building this great big boat. Okay, Noah, sure. Excellent. Honey. Don't let the kids go to Noah's house anymore. <laughs> to them, it seemed like crazy talk. Fantasy made up. Right, Noah, right. God's going to flood the earth and he's going to judge all of our weakness. Okay, Noah, whatever you say. They should have known, though. 120 years he did that. A lot of people today think that what we're talking about right now is crazy talk fantasy made up but as it was real for the people in the days of Noah it is so real to us as well and we are so close I find it very interesting that Jesus uses the example of Noah for another reason in order to escape the wrath of God poured out on mankind in judgment God provides Noah with a way to be saved Remember, he said, no, I want you to build an ark, and it's going to be made out of cypress wood. Do you understand? Cypress wood is the type of wood that is incorruptible. Cypress wood doesn't rot. It's incorruptible. You know that Jesus is going to say that as the ark was the way of salvation to the people of Noah, I am that ark for everyone. He is, as the Bible says, incorruptible. God said to Noah, when you're done with it, I want you to cover it inside it out with Pitch. The word pitch, you know, that's the only time it's used in the sense of like tar. Everywhere else in the Bible, you know what it is? It's atonement. He says, I want you to cover the ark with atonement. As Christ is incorruptible, he also is our atonement, which means forgiveness. He says to Noah, go into it and be saved. That it is in Jesus Christ that we are saved. Do you see what an incredible picture God used that situation there to warn us all now as well. He says, but I sent you as I gave Noah a way of salvation, I gave you a way of salvation and it is through Jesus Christ. 
Then he says, two men will be in the field and one will be taken and the other left. And two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. Basically what he's saying is when it comes, it will be the two of you will be working and then all of a sudden one of you will be gone. Just like that. You'll be there and then one will be gone. They'll be in the field and one will be gone. And that's how quick it will come. The rapture will happen that quick and judgment starts at that moment. Therefore also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Excuse me, he says, but know this, that the the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come. He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If you had known a burglar was coming to your house, wouldn't you prepare and be ready? Crouched by the door with your hairbrush? Maybe that's just me. (laughs) That happened once. (laughs) Have you ever seen the movie Home Alone? In the movie, this kid, Kevin, learns that burglars are going to come to his house. The entire movie is about his preparation and his plan for when they come. He's not just prepared mentally. He's got a map and a plan ready for when that happens. And I'm thinking, man, if he's that prepared for a burglar, how much more ready and prepared should we be for something as great as what we're talking about today? Are you ready? Are you Prepared? Are you living in a watchful state? When you will be taken up to meet Jesus, will you be in the middle of something that you would be ashamed or embarrassed of when you face him? Do you guys ever hear of a come as you are party? Anybody ever remember that? It's kind of an older thing. What would happen is, A host would plan a party, and then what they would do was, in order to invite people, they would just call you up, and whatever you were wearing in that moment is what you had to wear to the party. So if you were at work, you'd go in your work clothes. If you were at the gym, if you were just about to get into bed, or if you were already in bed, if you were my wife, because it's it's already 7.30 at night. Or if you're coming out of the shower, whatever it is you happen to be wearing in that moment, that's what you attend the party in. The rapture is a come as you are party, gang. Whatever you are involved in in that moment, you will be taken like that. I don't want to be involved in something that I would be embarrassed to say to Jesus, ah, well, you know, sorry. I want to be watchful. I'm going to be ready. I want to have a plan. The days are short. I believe the days are short. Are we living in a state of watchful readiness? <clears throat> he says, but who then is faithful and why? Uh, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over the household to give them food in due season? Blessed is the servant who his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But... If that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. When it says evil servant, I just want to pause there for a second. That in Greek, that means inwardly foul or rotten. 
Okay, um, remember within the context of what Jesus was saying, he was talking about the, the inward, uh, the outward religion of the Pharisees, but the inward state of their heart was rotten and foul. And he called them what? Hypocrites, right? So many times he's going to talk here about evil servants, right? What he's saying is that's the person who appears to be a servant of mine outwardly, but inwardly they're rotten and corrupt and they are not mine, is what Jesus is saying here. So the, the servant who lives in a state of readiness does so because they love the Lord and they want to be about his business. The Lord says, if you love me, you'll do my commandments. Remember, James will say, it's not works that saves you, but works that shows that you are saved, right? So that if you have no genuine works, then, then James would say, you need to examine your heart because um, if you're just sitting there and saying, no, I'm saved, I'm good. The Bible would say, are you working for the Lord? Not that, work, not that you're saved through those works, but you're saved to those works. He, look, at the, the, look at what will happen. He says that, but if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. And at that hour, he... In that hour that he is not aware, and he will, and he will cut him in two, and appoint, and appoint. I'll come back to that, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's that's okay. So you understand when he says evil servant, he's not talking about um, someone who has actually received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and is just lazy. He's talking about the person who says on the outside I am, but on the inside they're not. So that when they come to the Lord um, in that last day, and they'll say, Lord, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? And the Lord will say, I never knew who you were. When it says that he will cut him in two, that sounds pretty you know, gross. But what that actually means is cut asunder or separate. And we know that the Bible says that in the end, the Lord will look at everyone and will say, these are my sheep. These are the goats. And he will separate them. The sheep going on into the marriage supper of the lamb. The goats going out to what he says here is the weeping and gnashing of teeth that he says that they will go into everlasting destruction. Well, we can't stop there. We better go on to the next. <laughs> then the king of heaven. Uh, the king, <laughs> then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Again, I want to remind you, that word foolish in Greek is moron. Just saying. Five were wise, and five were morons. And those who were morons took their lamps and took no oil with them. Well, what good is an oil lamp without oil? They are not prepared. They have an oil lamp. They look as though they're prepared, but are they prepared? No. So they look like something they are not. What is that? A hypocrite and a moron. Absolutely. <laughs> but the wise took oil in their lamp, in their vessels with their lamps. Remember, Jesus is telling them a parable, okay? He's giving them a, an earthly example to express a spiritual reality. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. So the, the five unprepared, no oil, had, they had their lamps. They look on the outside like they are prepared, 
but they really aren't prepared. They're like, boy, he's really taken a long time to come back. Um, maybe we'll just take a nap. It reminds me, um, in Second Peter, what he writes regarding Jesus' return, it says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, if some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that should all come to repentance. Why is Jesus taking so long to come back? Because he's lazy? No, because he loves us desperately. He loves mankind so much that he is waiting and waiting and waiting so that all will have a chance to come to repentance. Not lazy, long-suffering. And I honestly think that is the perfect description for what Jesus is when it comes to us. Long-suffering. But these uh, five moronic virgins were all slumbering, thinking, well, the delay in his coming back, you know, it, the longer it gets, the less they begin to believe that it's actually going to happen. And at midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered and said, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, uh, and you but go rather to those who sell and buy your, for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. After the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. It is the same story that Jesus says. Those who said, well, didn't I go to church all the time? And didn't I do good things? And, you know, didn't I, you know, um, wear a cross and, and have a sticker on my car and all that stuff? And he would say, that was all outward. Inwardly, you're rotten. I don't know you. I don't know you. These, these five moronic, unprepared brides were hypocrites. They appeared to be one thing that they weren't on the inside. And Jesus says, and they were cut off. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. It's interesting to me that he, he uses this parable of, um, of, uh, of a bride and a bridegroom um, when he's talking about his uh, coming back. This is why. This, this is really interesting. Um, a marriage and a wedding at, at this time that he's talking about, it, it would have worked like this. The father of the groom had to pay what was called the bride price. So they would... They, he would have to shell out a large amount of money in order to pay the price of the bride. It was very costly. And then the couple would enter into a time of betrothal, which was like engagement, but much more binding. <clears throat> now, it was usually about a year. And in that time, the, the, the bride would wait for the groom to come and get her, but she didn't know when that was going to be. She did not know the day or the hour. Now, during that time, the groom would go to his father's house and begin to build on a room onto his father's house and prepare a place for them for after they were 
married. And while he was doing that, the groom's father would monitor his son's progress on what he was preparing, the place that he was preparing. And when he thought that they were at a stage where he was finished, he would say to his son, go and get your bride. Now the groom would go to collect his bride. And at that time, Um, As he drew near, the the groom's friends would begin to shout out, and they would actually sound a ram's horn, or or what's called a shofar, what we would say like a trumpet, to alert everyone to the arrival of the groom to collect his bride. And when the groom arrived, he would collect his bride. The word in Hebrew is neshuin, and it actually means to take or lift up. The groom would then take his bride back to the place that he had prepared for them in his father's house where they would have a wedding feast for seven days. That's a long reception. Just It's a lot of dancing. Now, as I'm telling you about this, there should be some familiar sounding things in your head. Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come to you and take you to be with me that where I am, there you may be also. We are, the Bible says, the bride of Christ. I know that's weird for guys. I'm not no bride. Well, no one's asking you to wear a dress. Please don't. But according to the Bible, his church is the bride of Christ. He says, I am going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. Just like the example of the groom who would go and prepare in that period of waiting time, once they were betrothed, and that's what we are, to his father's house to prepare a place. Jesus also said that only my father knows the time of my return. We just looked at that today. As then, the father was the one who determined the time was right for the the groom to go and collect his bride and bring her home to his father's house. We are to wait and live watchfully and be prepared for when he comes to take us away where we will all join in the marriage supper of the Lamb, which I believe will be taking place while the rest of the world goes through seven years of tribulation, just like the wedding feast in that time lasted seven days. Do you see how God amazingly lines all that stuff up? He says, here's marriage as an example of what our relationship will be with Christ. Well, you guys are in luck because I'm done. (laughs) That's literally all I wrote, so I hope that helped you. I know, the band is, they're drinking coffee, they're like, what the? (laughs) If you're new today, this is rare, rare. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word today and what you've showed us about uh, what is to come. Lord, I thank you for your gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, the way that you made for us to be saved and spared from judgment that is to come. Lord, I pray for anybody that's here or listening online or with the podcast, Lord, that hasn't 
hasn't um, accepted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for their sins, Lord, that they are facing some horrible times ahead, but Lord, it all could be avoided if they would call out and say, Jesus, forgive me, come into my life and be my savior. Lord, they would be saved, Lord, for the judgments that's to come and welcomed into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Lord, how I long for that day. Lord, I pray for anyone here um, who hasn't done that, Lord that you would help them to overcome whatever it is that's keeping them, whether it's fear or embarrassment or, or just uh, like in the days of Noah, just going, just consumed with their day-to-day. Lord, thank you so much for this uh, beautiful morning. Um, and in your name we pray, amen. Amen. amen.